majestic sound means it's time for History Matters. Taking a look back at this week in history with historian extraordinaire Scott Washington, who joins us here in the studio. Good morning. How are you? Good morning, Aaron. Well, I'm always glad to be here, especially the week preceding Valentine's Day and all the good things that this station does to uh, help... Uh, help keep us in the mood for that, uh, the middle of February, and get us through this month, which always, it's the shortest in the calendar, but it seems really long. It seems really long, <laughs> doesn't really it? Long. Yeah. Yes, January it strangely flew by for me. I don't yes. know if you had the same experience or if other yeah. people did, but I also like talking with people about yeah. like the experience of time. Like I had, right. what was it, 2021, weirdly, <laughs> yeah. I, I like I had a good year, it was yeah. fine, but it weirdly just dragged on forever for me. And I would talk to people and they'd be like, yeah, I feel exactly the exactly. same way. Right. And then last year flew by January right. moved fast February is slow I don't know always slow. <laughs> yes it is <laughs> well uh, you know we're talking about uh, hearing about the weather which this station does really good to keep us up on um, uh, Friday is National Umbrella Day and there is a Raleigh connection with this which is really interesting um, because on February 11th uh, which is also uh, the birthday of uh, Thomas Edison, you know, the great inventor, but also another one, which is a Raleigh name we may not be as familiar with, which was Beulah Louise Henry. And she actually got the nickname of the Lady Edison because she was such a prolific inventor. Okay. Um, she was born in uh, Raleigh and um, in 1887 or thereabouts uh, on February 11th and lives till 1973 but she has, uh, uh, and she moves to New York and then comes back, and then she um, ha develops a whole series of inventions, just has one of those kind of minds that thinks in 4D. And you may be one of those who are listening, and uh, there are other people who do. Um, she first invented uh, a, an ice cream freezer that seemed to work in 1912, and then the thing that really got her a ton of cash, which fueled all of her further inventions was, um, this is something that you'd see on Shark Tank. It was a matching umbrella cover so that it would match the uh, outfits that women wore. So they could have okay. it, put it on different uh, different cover. And some of them we, we get when we... So even when the umbrella was open, it would still that's right. like... Oh, it was very okay. nice. And then you could change that out depending on your outfit. So this had a great appeal. Why do we not have these now? <laughs> exactly. How did we get rid of that's this right. invention? <laughs> so somebody's out there saying, oh, I can do that. I've been thinking about this. Uh, but she comes up with a whole number of, of everything. Hair curlers, a parasol bag... A uh, poodle dog doll, a ball covering, foot covering, uh, and she just kept doing it, and she kept getting patents for so many different things. And I just love that kind of sense of creativity of just saying, well, hey, why not? I have questions about a parasol <laughs> bag. Isn't that just a bag? Well, like, yeah. is it specifically parasol-shaped? Yes. Well, nobody thought of that at this time, and they said, <laughs> well, why not? Uh, and she did something with, with typewriters as well, um, uh, an attachment for typewriters, um, um, movable eye structure for figure toys, a sewing apparatus, a typewriting machine. That's this is cool. the 1941. Yes, it yeah. really is. Uh, nothing that we're jumping up and saying, except for the 
the umbrella cover, hey, that's a great idea. I want one of those umbrella yeah. covers. Uh, you could just change it out for the outfit you're wearing, and that would be uh, kind of fun. I mean, my only umbrella <laughs> is black, so I just wear black <laughs> on rainy days. I, it well, fits the vibe and the mood. So, but, so that, you know, in other words, you're coordinating your outfit with your umbrella. I could reverse coordinate, <laughs> and it would be so much better. Yeah, there you go. Well, these are the kind of things that make life interesting when it comes to finding these unusual people of history. Now, there's something that uh, another woman that comes up this week, uh, really kind of interesting, another name we probably haven't heard as much, Rebecca Lee Crumpler. Uh, she was uh, born in 1831, becomes the first uh, African-American uh, doctor uh, in the United States. Uh, she's a nurse. Uh, she grows up, uh, and she's born in the Boston area, grows up, um, and uh, with an aunt in Pennsylvania, and um, she, uh, who is like the, the town doctor, and that really influences her. Uh, she uh, becomes a nurse from 1844, uh, going up to around 1860, and then because there is a shortage of physicians because of the Civil War, she applies for and is accepted into a medical school and graduates in 1864, and after the Civil War, and so she first starts treating mainly African Americans in Boston, but after mm -hmm. the Civil War, moved by compassion and a sense of mission, she moves to Richmond. You think, where, why is she doing this? And uh, works there with the, the large numbers of African Americans who were freed after the Civil War. Nice. Stays there and then eventually moves back to Boston. She publishes uh, medical books in 1883, again, one of the first African American uh, doctors to do that an unusual name, somebody who's making a difference, uh, and I think that's kind of interesting. Now, you're going to have to help me with something, uh, Aaron, because every year I always ask you about this, um, uh -oh. and <laughs> about the election of 1825, where it looks like on paper that Jackson wins the, the election, Andrew Jackson, but instead somebody else wins. So yes. tell me about this. How did this happen? Well, what happened is we didn't have a two-party system at the time, <laughs> Scott. So we had, uh, <laughs> this was this was that like weird in-between period when we started off with the Federalists and the Jeffersonians, yeah. and then the Jeffersonians were very victorious in 1800, and the Federalists just kind of died away over the next 20 years. And it wasn't until the 1830s that we had like a legitimate two-major party oh, system wow. reemerge. So in the 18-teens and 1820s, there wasn't really uh, competing parties. It was just one big party that was not a party and not really any clear like two-person candidacy. So 1824, you had four people running, like four major candidates running for president. Andrew Jackson gets the most votes and the most electoral votes, but he doesn't get a majority. And oh. if you don't win a majority in the Electoral College, even if you get the most electoral right. votes, the election gets thrown to the House of Representatives and they get to choose. And they didn't like Andrew Jackson too much for reasons both so. <laughs> good and bad. And they ended up voting for John Quincy Adams instead. Well, you know, and people were upset. Oh, oh man. I bet. Yeah. You know, Poor John, John Quincy Adams, <laughs> who's like a major figure in oh American gosh, history, yes. but his presidency was just. Like the Herbert Hoover of the 19th century. Like get... Herbert Hoover is a major figure in American history who had a terrible presidency. <laughs> John Quincy Adams is a major figure in American history, like did so many good yeah. things. And then his four years as president were just hamstrung by the fact that 
all of the Jacksonians just hated him because wow. he had usurped the, the rightful winner of the 1824 election. Uh, somebody decrying that the election wasn't fair. Well, I, I can't know. believe that ever happened. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, I have to ask about this because, um, you know, under uh, John Quincy Adams, who is the son of John Adams, who had so much to do with the Also a major that, figure yes, with an amp presidency. That's right. Yeah. Um, John Quincy Adams, uh, under his administration, I think Florida becomes part of the United States. He gets that from uh, Spain. But there's something <laughs> sure else that happens. Sure he did some good things, too. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's one term. He doesn't, he doesn't <laughs> win a second term. But interestingly enough, though, um, he comes back, he believes in public service so much as part of his lifeblood that he actually has a whole second career 1831 to 1848, and yep. the House of Representatives. Major anti-slavery oh advocate yes. at the oh, time. It's yep. so incredible. He, uh, and it, his name came up this week because um, on February 6, 1837, um, he is submitting petitions. And, you know, we have that in the First Amendment, the right to petition the government for redress of grievances. Well, it was much more common, this idea of uh, submitting petitions. We don't think of it that way today. But then it was, and so he uses that uh, forum to actually keep submitting uh, uh, propositions and petitions to the House of Representatives uh, saying that slavery should be abolished. Amazing. And also that women should have suffrage, uh, the right to vote. I incredible. And no matter how many times they try to censor him <laughs> and say, no, we're not going to accept this, he keeps doing it until finally... In 1844, it's overturned. And that is how history matters. Scott Washington, as always. Always interesting. Thank you so much. Thanks.